for some of you, and hopefully it's not too many, but I'm sure there are people who haven't read through Ephesians for a while, the whole book in one setting. Maybe you've never read through the book of Ephesians in one setting. So this morning, like Josh said, we're going to read this whole text together. And there's a few reasons I just want to give you for doing this, because it's not very usual. If we were preaching the book of Isaiah or something, I probably wouldn't read the whole book, because it's a lot of chapters. But as it is, we're six chapters, just under 2,500 words. It's very manageable. I think it's going to be worth it. So the books of the Bible known as the epistles, which would be Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, those kinds of things, Ephesians, Galatians. These books were given to churches as letters from the author. And so when they were received by the church, the church would gather around and these letters would be read out loud to the entire body. Right? They didn't get the book and say, okay, this week let's just read the first two sentences. Then next week we'll get together again and do it. They read it as a letter. It was a letter from the author to the audience. And so that's one of the reasons I want to do this this morning is this was the way that the New Testament church received these a couple thousand years ago. Second, there are themes that we're going to see and even inflections in the way that Paul writes that are hard to see unless you get the whole context. There are things that he wants to emphasize, I think, in his writing um, that are just hard to get if we don't take the whole thing together, together. And third, as I mentioned for some of us, not having read through this for a long time, I'm hoping that by doing this, it's going to ignite in you a desire to study this book. As we see the whole picture, the broad scope, I hope that this does in your heart what God intends for you to build a passion for his word and for studying together. So I was talking with my wife, Tiff, yesterday about the sermon. She said, are you going to read the whole book? And she didn't say it like that. It was very sweet. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I'm going to read the whole book. And she goes, well, that's not going to leave you very much time to say anything at the end. And I thought, you know, that's, that's true, but I think that's good, right? I could, I could stand up here and I could give you all these things about Ephesians and we could talk about it and I could make you feel really good, but that's not what you need this morning. You need to hear from God's word. I need to hear from God's word. So this is not a waste of time to do this this morning. Even if we don't get to preach very long or whatever happens today, this is worth our time to focus on God's word. That's where the power is for transformation. It's not just in what I say, it's in the word of God, right? Now Paul says that as preachers, we're ambassadors for God, God making his appeal through us. So there is a responsibility for us to handle the word rightly, but I think this morning, to get in its context is going to be very helpful. So let's pray together, and then we'll read the text and make a few comments about it this morning. Father, thank you that you are the God of all comfort, who comforts us in our afflictions so that as we are a comfort to others, we may give them what you have given to us. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you already this morning for what we've heard from the Psalms about the purity and the power of your word. And God, as we read now this morning, and as we start this preaching series, I pray that your word would have its full effect in our lives. It is not meaningless when you send your word out. It has a purpose. You have designs and things that you wish to accomplish. God, I pray that you soften our hearts, that we would not resist the truth of your word, but that by your spirit you work this deep into our hearts that we would come to know you, the only true God, and your Son, Jesus Christ, 
through the ministry of your Holy Spirit. Father, may we stand on your word as a foundation. May we stand under your word as our authority. And in that place, Lord, may we find sweet fellowship with you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. If you haven't done so, I invite you to turn to the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. It's the letter of Paul, and we're going to read this text together this morning. So follow along, please, as I read the book of Ephesians. Starting with Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived, in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. 
For by grace you have been saved, through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you at one time were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near, For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to you, to me, for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations as it has been now revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given, to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I am suffering for you, which is your glory. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, 
urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended, far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness or foolish talk or crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. 
Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partake partners with them. For you at one time were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Do not get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns, spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body." Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, and this is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you, and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Servants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart as you would Christ, not by the way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord whether he is a bondservant or is free. Masters, do the same to them. and Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, 
and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The word of the God. So the book of Ephesians is divided into two main sections. We're going to actually see a two-part division and a three-part, but to begin with, it's divided into two. Chapters one through three, and then four to six. So the first three chapters lay out what I would call a theological foundation for the practical instruction that's coming then in four through six. So let's take a couple look, a look at uh, some of the main themes in the book of Ephesians. The first one that I would point out, and this has to do with even the division that I just mentioned, would be the theme of imperatives and indicatives. And I'll explain what I mean when I say that. But for example, there are no imperatives in the first three chapters. Unless you count verse 13 of chapter 3 where he says, I ask you not to lose heart, but it's not telling us to do something. So what is an imperative? Another way to say it would be that there's no commands for us to follow in the first three chapters. Um, The scriptures employ this principle of imperative indicative. When the Bible gives us an imperative, do this, walk this way, don't act in this way. When it gives us instruction, it's usually grounded on what we call the indicative, meaning what has already been done for us in Christ, which allows us to obey the command that we were just given. So you're following with me? Imperative, do this. Indicative means here's why you have the ability to do this. Okay, so the Bible uses this. To use Ephesians as an example, in chapter 3 through 6, we see a litany of commands, instructions. Walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Grow up in every way to him who is the head and to Christ. Put off your old self. Give no opportunity to the devil. Be kind to one another. Be imitators of God. Walk as children of light. Do not be foolish. Submit to your husbands. Love your wives. Obey your parents. Do, 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 do. Now, if we were just to jump here into chapter 4 and start, without reading everything that God has done for us in Christ to get us to this point, how would we even start to obey all those commands? Well, we would start in our own power. (laughs) Or we would try, because that's what we want to do. We want to do the thing, right? But as it is, we not only have the commands of 4 through 6, but we have the imperatives of 1 through 3, meaning we have the reason that we can have hope of obeying what God has told us to do. We can't make any headway in obedience or any external modification unless we do it in the strength that God supplies to us. So imperative, do this. 
Indicative means here's why you have the ability to do this. We see that displayed pretty neatly in the book of Ephesians. Another main theme that you probably picked up on as we read through was that of our union with Christ. 30 times in these six chapters, Paul uses the phrase, in him, or in Christ. He draws attention to the fact that any blessing we receive, any ability that we have to obey is because of being united to Jesus. And as I've said before, what it means to be united to Christ is that what happens to Jesus happens to us. We explained this last week with baptism. Just as Christ was buried, died and buried and raised to newness of life, so we, in conversion, die to our old way of living and are raised to newness of life. That's a part of being united to Christ. And that's a major theme as we're going to see as we work through this book. Also, I see another theme here, and I wasn't quite sure how to speak about it, so I made something up, which is usually what I do. Um, I'm kidding, by the way. Um, So I see this theme of positional reality is what I'm calling it, or also a positional tension. Or you could call this the already and not yet reality. Maybe you've heard that phrase if you've been around church, already, not yet. So the positional reality is you have been seated with Christ in the heavenly places. We're there. It's done. But then in the next chapters, we see, well, you need to do this. You need to act this way. You need to stop doing this and whatever. So there's this reality and there's this tension, right? We already are seated with Christ. That's done. But we're not quite there yet because we still have work to do. We have progress to make in our holiness. We have all these things. So I see the positional reality, we're there, and also a positional tension. Even when we're there, we still have work to do. We're not, it's not as if you get saved and you can just, well, I guess I'm good. I can live my life any way I want to. No. The reality that we are in Christ and seated with Christ should motivate in us the desire to be obedient and walk in obedience to what Christ has commanded us. So I see that reality, the already and the not yet. And these are just a few themes. As we work through this, we're going to see so much more. So I hope you plan to come back and work through this with us. Also, if you're one who likes to break things into chunks or manageable pieces without thinking of the whole thing, if that's too much, I, just in my own mind, as I was thinking about how to preach through this, broke it up into three categories, the whole book into three categories. So chapters one through three, and I used alliteration, by the way, which is a total Baptist thing to do. So all, all letter C words, okay, you ready? Chapters 1 through 3 show the believer's calling, how God has done in history to plan and accomplish our salvation. Chapter 4, verse 1 through chapter 6, verse 9 show the believer's conduct. Now that we have been saved, how are we to live in light of our calling and salvation? And then 6.10 through 6.20, really the end of the chapter, show the believer's conflict who we fight, and how we fight. So if you want to think about it in those terms, calling, conduct, conflict. That's just kind of how I broke it up in my head, and we're going to work through the book with that in mind. So let's take a look at a little bit of the history and the context before we wrap up with Paul's intended purpose. Uh, Most commentators and scholars believe that Paul was writing this letter while he was imprisoned in Rome, He had appealed to Caesar to have his case heard before Caesar, and he was awaiting his court date. And he was on house arrest and wrote at some point likely between 80, 60, and 62, somewhere in there. That's kind of the rough timing 
Paul didn't date the letter, so it's kind of hard to know. (laughs) And then we see more of Ephesians in the New Testament than any other church. More of the church at Ephesus. And here's some examples. Acts 18 through 20, we see that Paul had a three-year ministry in Ephesus. He stayed there planting churches, ministering to the people there. First and second, Timothy were written by Paul to Timothy, who was in Ephesus. Paul left him there to set up more churches, to make sure that the leadership was intact, to appoint elders, all that kind of stuff. So Timothy is now the pastor at Ephesus, and Paul writes those two letters to him while he's there. The church at Ephesus is the first church in Revelation 2 that is listed. And they receive commendation for patiently enduring, but they also receive a warning that they've lost their first love and need to come back to Christ. Speaking of Revelation, many people believe that John wrote his epistles in or very near Ephesus. And Patmos, where he was imprisoned while he wrote the book of Revelation, was also very near. So there's a lot of things in the New Testament that point to Ephesus. A lot of instances where this comes up, either directly or by implication. It was a seaport city in the Roman province of Asia. And Paul spent, like I said, about three years there on his third missionary journey. Stopped in Ephesus established churches, planted churches, and left Timothy there. One kind of interesting thing, if you're like a historical person, um, one of the seven wonders of the world, the Temple of Artemis, is in Ephesus. And it was destroyed and then rebuilt. Um, And the reason that I think this is important to point out is because as Paul is there, and he sets up his ministry, and he's planting churches, and Timothy's there, and he's passing the torch on to him, many of these Ephesians are coming to faith in Christ. But they're coming from a background of pagan worship. And the thing about Artemis was she was the god of um, wild animals and the god of the moon. And she was considered to be the protector of the household. So people coming to Christ were bringing all these crazy ideas and background from this pagan kind of animalistic religion. And so they had all kinds of wild ideas about animals being embodied spirits and all this kind of stuff. So it makes sense then in chapter 6 why Paul makes such a big deal about we don't fight against flesh and blood. Yes, you've been converted from false religion to the true God. That doesn't mean you physically go after your old religion. We fight against spiritual realities. And that's why Paul brings this up in chapter 6, because of the context and the um, very strong influence of this pagan god, Artemis, and her huge temple. We'll see more of that as we get into chapter 6. So that's a little bit of the context in the history And now I want to move on. This last thing we'll talk about this morning is the purpose of the letter. Why did Paul write this letter? We've already seen how it's divided up into two main parts. First half showing what God has done. The second telling us how we should live now. And as I was considering this and thinking about the book as a whole, I came up with this statement for a purpose statement. Paul desires that we rightly see and understand the grace of God And the power that his grace has to produce in us holy living. Or let's simplify it even a little bit more. Paul desires that we see the calling and true conduct of the believer. And I think that's what he's trying to get across. And that's also my desire. As we work through this book as a church together, I hope that we see what God has done for us in Christ. And that we see that because of that, Because of the indicative, (laughs) to use the big word, now what are the imperatives? What are we supposed to do? 
walk in the light, love one another, bear with one another's burdens, all of those things, we're going to see that together, but all of that grounded on what Christ has done for us. And my hope is that as we work through, that we will be able to say with chapter one, that what we learn and what we see and what we become is to the praise of the glorious grace of Jesus. Let's pray together as we come to the table this morning. Lord, I am so excited to start working through this book together as a church. And as I prayed before, Lord, as we look at all these different realities, as we look at our identity in Christ, as we see what you have done in choosing us and calling us, seating us with Christ, giving us the ability to obey, Father, would we overflow with thanksgiving and praise to you because of what you've done. I thank you for each one here, Lord. I pray that your word would sink deep into our hearts and our minds. We wouldn't just be after information and facts, but that we would see and hear and love Jesus as a church. Only you can do this, God. I, I cannot make this happen. But you can, by your spirit, you can come and you can change us. And I ask that you would do it. Do it for your glory. Do it for Christ's sake. And do it to strengthen us as a body. And I ask in Jesus' name, amen.